Welcome to an inspirational message recorded live at Little Falls Christian Center. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Heavenly Father, just as the time when your glory filled this temple, we pray during this time of this Feast of Pentecost that with a new and a fresh outpouring, your Holy Spirit will fill the temple which is your house. Because it is said by David, and we concur with that, I was glad when they said we must go up to the house of God. Father, this is where your presence dwell. Thank you that we may worship you through these words because you inhabit the praises of your people. May the name of our Lord Jesus Christ always be lifted up high and be glorified. And as we go into this week of this Feast of Pentecost, may it be a feast of the powerful presence and the anointing of your Holy Spirit. And if you agree with me, let's say Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, band. Thank you. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. It is always nice to see, knowing that you're going to come to the house of God and there's not going to be just one person, more than one. So it's great to see, as Maud rightfully pointed out, we can see that the winter is, is now slowly but surely starting to settle in and we can see by the attire that we wear and also by more people choosing to come to the second service. But to all of you, you're most welcome. And to all of you, I want to say, expect a great, a marvelous, and a wonderful Feast of Pentecost, because this is what God has for His church. And something dawned on me in preparation, and uh, maybe I was just a bit slow concerning this one, but we know that the Word of God says that for 10 days, for 10 days, they gather together by the instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said, for 10 days, wait. They didn't know it was going to be 10 days. They were just told by our Lord Jesus, tarry in Jerusalem and wait until you are endued with power on high. They didn't know it was 10 days. We know now that it was 10 days. And Friday night, when we started with a prayer meeting here in the church, it was exactly 10 days up until Pentecost Day, which is the 28th next coming Sunday. And I do believe that there's something quite profound in this, because nothing in this church just happens by coincidence. So when we started with this prayer on Friday, it is a build-up to Pentecost, and we've got great expectation of what the Lord is going to do. You know, what does it take for God to move from Pentecost when it was instituted on Mount um, um, Sinai, three and a half thousand years ago, the first time Pentecost was instituted, we celebrated 50 days that Israel came out of Egypt and the law was given. From that moment until 1,500 years later, when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, Mount Sinai, 3,000 people died because they sinned. Mount Zion, 3,000 people got saved because of the Holy Spirit that was poured out. And that set in motion what God had planned for the church ever since then. Because this is what God wants for us during Pentecost. It is a time that we must expect great and wonderful miracles because the law was given, but grace came. Grace came in the form of a person called Jesus Christ. So in celebrating Pentecost, we've got great, 
great excitement and expectation of a move of God. And this year we started it for me the best possible way in praying a whole night through. And those of you who are here will bear testimony to this. We are prayed up and we are ready for the Feast of Pentecost. And every night we must expect great things to happen, just like it was in the time of, 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 of the, uh, the early church. Three times, God speaks very specifically and uniquely to mankind through His Spirit. Three times. The first time, at creation. In Genesis 2 verse 7, God says this, And He will breathe His breath of life in the nostrils of man, and man becomes a living soul. Now, if you wondered what that breath of life is, the word always answers that question. We can go to Job. You don't have to. I'm just using it as a frame of reference. Job, in the book of Job 27, chapter 27, verse 3, he says this, All the while my breath is in me, and the spirit, the ruach of God, is in my nostrils. So that was the first time when the spirit of God moved mightily amongst man. The second time was when we got saved. Because now we are born again, it is our spirits that were born again, and that was the work of the Holy Spirit who resurrected our spirits who was dead because of sin, and now we are born again. John 3.3 3 says this, except a man is born again, he will not see, means he will, he will not know, he will not see the kingdom of God. That was the second time. The third time God's Holy Spirit moves in a profound way amongst man is at Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and people were baptized in the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist himself says here in Mark 1 verse 8, he says, I baptize you with water, but he, Jesus, is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And this is the one part, I believe, that most churches are missing and are preaching and are teaching their people because it is only with the baptism of the Holy Spirit that power is given unto the body of Christ. Hence, the power of Pentecost. And God confirms these last two, salvation, born again, and the baptism of the Holy Spirit in the Word of God in John 14, verses 17. And this is what it says. All of us who are saved, all of us, it says that you have the Spirit of truth in you. And then it says, whom the world cannot receive. The world cannot receive the Spirit of truth because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him. You know the Holy Spirit if you are born again. And then he qualifies why. He says, because He dwells with you and He dwells in you. So we've got the Holy Spirit double portion. God has given the body of Christ, the church, you the believer, the Holy Spirit to be in you and the Holy Spirit to be upon you. To very distinct different functions of the Holy Spirit. Why did God put it that way? Because it was fulfilling what Jesus our Lord was saying Himself just before He ascended to heaven. You must always remember these last words of our Lord Jesus Christ before He left the earth. He said this in the book of Acts 1 verses 8, And you will be endued with power from on high. Why do we need power? 
Why? Why is salvation just not enough? Why do we need power? Because then it would put in motion what the Lord already said in the book of John 14 verses 12. He says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do, and greater works than he will do, because I go to my Father. Jesus proved the only way that he did the miracles that he did was by the power of God's Holy Spirit that came upon him. And the only way that we are going to do it was by that same Holy Spirit. He tells us how it's going to happen because he knows he's got firsthand experience. And now he says to the body of Christ, I'm giving you the same authority and the same power to do this. You see, there's a teaching going out in this world and many churches are lazy and slack because of this. They teach it is fine and good enough just to be saved. We think we are saved, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and it's fine. I've arrived, I am fine. God says not so, because salvation takes you to the place where now is unleashed the power of God's Holy Spirit. God wants to equip those who are saved so that He can use them, so that we can do the things that Christ did. By just being saved, we will do nothing in the kingdom of God. All you will be is you'll be a consumer. You will be no contributor. And this is what many churches are robbing their members from because the Pentecost power means that God activated the church to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do the works that Christ taught us to do. That is what is available to all of us. Yes, praise the Lord God that God has given that power unto us. And God confirms that His Holy Spirit is given to us in two ways. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 16, He says this, But do you not know that you are the temple of God who dwells in you? The temple of God speaks of us as the body of Christ, the church in other words. God says His Spirit is in His church. The Holy Spirit is in us here in the church. And then in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 19, He says, But do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now He goes personally, He says, Personally, the Holy Spirit is in you. He's in the church and He's in you as the believer. So that from here on in, knowing that you've got the Holy Spirit, knowing then that you are saved, you can go out and to walk in that power that God has made available to all of us. That is the power of Pentecost that came. And a significant thing, a most powerful thing happened on that day at Pentecost. Those first few verses in the book of Acts 2, from verses 1 to 4, God lays the foundation of how every Christian will walk in this life, knowing that you will walk in victory. Because he says this, listen to the words. He says, when the Holy Spirit came, it says, a sound from heaven was heard. Firstly, they heard this. They heard this. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And then he says, And they saw that cloven tongues of fire appeared unto each and every single one of them. In other words, they saw it. We shall see the works and the power of salvation. So now we hear and we see. And lastly he says, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they started speaking in different tongues, not their own tongues. 
the power of the Holy Spirit comes and He gives you and me the ability and the privilege to speak in a heavenly language. If you've ever been fearful of praying and speaking in the Spirit, I'm telling you, it is a fear from the devil and not for the fear from God because whom of us do not want to receive that heavenly language that we cannot, we cannot copy or we cannot fake it. It is God's Spirit who speaks to us a language that is divine, that is holy, that we speak the perfect will of God and it is proof that the baptism of the Holy Spirit had come upon the church by being able to speak in the Spirit, not by our own understanding. Because why does God do this? Because He confirms then also, we will speak and appear before men and women and those in authority, and we would not know what to say, but the Holy Spirit will speak through us the oracles of God. God lays the foundation for every Christian, even there at Pentecost. William Bradham had it right when he said, Pentecost is not a denomination. Pentecost is an experience whom everyone can have if they so desire and wish because Pentecost is an experience, experiencing God's Holy Spirit. You cannot teach this. You cannot buy it. You cannot purchase it. You receive it because you believe it. Because 2,000 years ago, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Where do you think He still is today? He's still here on the earth waiting to come into the hearts of men so that He can also come upon us to empower us with power so that we can resist the devil and do the works of God. Just as Jesus Christ had promised us that we must walk in His ways and He said, we will do more than He had done because of the same power that was on Jesus Christ is now upon us as the church. That is the power of what God had made available to us. But now God also comes and He establishes His church because of Pentecost. Because when that power of the Holy Spirit comes, then the body of Christ was empowered to do that which we are called to do. All of us have had the privilege because of that day of Pentecost, we have got that privilege that God wants to use us to reveal to the world who Jesus Christ is. That is the power that is working in each and every single one of us. Only if we move beyond salvation and we say, come Lord, I want to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Come and fill me. Come and let me speak in the heavenly language. Come Lord, let signs and wonders and miracles operate through the gifts that operates through me, that comes from your Holy Spirit that's upon me, so that Jesus Christ can be glorified. That's the power of God's Holy Spirit that was given to us at Pentecost. And most of us are missing it. But listen how God prepared the church because of Pentecost. You see, the Holy Spirit was poured out. In Acts 2, we read that 3,000 souls got saved. And now the church gathered together. And the church was now growing in numbers from 120 to the upper room. Now they've got 3,000 additional people. This was the church, the first church. What happens in Acts 3? The first miracle happens in the church. John and Peter goes to Jerusalem and there's a beggar asking them for food. And John and Peter says this, or Peter speaks and he says, food. I don't have, but what I have, I give to you freely. Raise up and walk. 
the first miracle happens in the church. A lame beggar gets up and his walk. God was speaking to the church. The time had arrived for the church to get up and walk and to go and do the work that the church of God has been called to do. That's the power of miracle. Right at that moment, right at that moment, Jesus Christ's name was given legally to the church to now operate in that name because Peter said, in the name of Jesus, get up. And he says, he qualifies which Jesus because there are many other Jesus. He says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the son of God and the son of man, get up and walk. God says to the church, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and go and do what I've called you to do. Now we go to the next chapter in Acts Number four, there's persecution coming. John and Peter appears before the Jewish Sanhedrin and they are scolded and they are ridiculed because they are now doing these signs in the name of Jesus Christ. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees says to him, you can do what you want, but they don't use the name of Jesus Christ. And they refuse to bow to that. And now they call together a meeting. And now the church has got their first prayer meeting. And in this prayer meeting, they started praying and they asked only for one thing. Listen, what it says in Acts 4 verse 29, and as they get together and they pray, it says, they're praying to God and saying, now Lord, look on their hearts and grant to you, sorry, look on their threats. In other words, these people who are threatening them not to use the name of Jesus Christ. Said, look on their threats, O Lord, and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak the word. In verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The first miracle had happened. The first prayer meeting had happened. And I ask only one thing. Give us boldness that we can do what Christ did through signs and wonders and miracles. And so it happens. And now we get to the next chapter, Acts number five. And here we encounter the first sin in the body of Christ because a man and his wife come and they give, but they're holding back from God. And that moment, Peter doesn't even speak to them about this, but it's the Holy Spirit who shows it in him. That just proves that when you pray, God's Holy Spirit will reveal things to you. And here he speaks to Ananias and his wife, Sapphira, and he says, what evil has entered into your, into your heart? Has God not given you all things? Why then are you withholding from giving to God what you're supposed to? They did bring to God because they sold the property. And it's not about what they were giving and it's about what they were withholding from God because God gives us everything in any way. Right there, sin entered. And isn't it just so coincidental that it was money that caused the first sin in the house of God because it was money that Judas in the end started to walk away from God as he could not look after the money in the house of God. Now Satan comes and he's just so predictable that he comes and in the house of God, he wants to bring in sin because of money. And man falls again for that through um, Ananias and Zipporah. But the Holy Spirit is now in the church and he points this out. And through this, God takes us back to how the church should be. 
2,000 years ago, this is how the church was. And this is how the church should be all along. We should never have deviated from that. And when I say us, I'm not talking necessarily about this church. I'm talking about the body of Christ all along. Because these three things must be in the church. Number one, there must be a church that is activated to get up and through the miracle of Jesus Christ, go out and speak the gospel out there in this world. And it must be a church who is praying to get up and pray and pray for boldness to do the things what God has called us to do. You are the body of Christ. You have the right to ask for boldness and to expect it and to go and walk in boldness. You will be there in your workplace and you will be bold because it's the Holy Spirit who will give utterance to the words that you speak. You will call the things which are not as though they are. Your boss and the, un, the, the evil and the corrupted people in your work will have favor with you because God proved in His Word that He can do it. He did it for Joseph. He did it even for Daniel. God does that for His people, that the world out there do not get the better of you. And then there is in the church, we must, we must take a stand when it comes to sin. Right here, Peter addressed sin by the people withholding their money that they were supposed to give to God. A church that doesn't deal with sin has got no Holy Spirit in the church because the Holy Spirit cannot move when sin is tolerated. A churches will be tempted with sin because we will come and the world will come with great arguments and ideas and ways of what we should do. You know, we should adjust, we should adapt. No, they should because the Word of God 2,000 years ago upon the church is still the same Word. It's still the same authority and still the same power that we have. Hallelujah, hallelujah. That is the power of God's Word. Where is the power today? Where is the power that we supposedly see in the church? We are blessed, we are blessed and be humble about this, that the power of God is evident in this house. But do not for one moment think that what happens here is what happening in the church all over in South Africa or even in this world, because it is not. The power of God has been taken out of the church because of man-made ideas and man's interpretation of the Word of God. God doesn't need us to interpret the Bible. He just needs us to do it, to follow it, to walk it by faith. And the proof is that we don't have to look far because there are countless miracles of the power of God and it is the baptism of the Holy Spirit who brings it to the church so that we can have it. It's still available to us. And I will prove it to you that the power of God is still there. In 1984, and you may have heard the story, you may have seen it. In 1984, a particular lady was leaving on a plane from Australia to New Zealand. And en route to New Zealand, there was a massive lightning storm. So much so that the plane started dipping and falling into all these wind and air pockets. People started screaming and shouting in the airplane, thinking, honestly, all of them thought that this is the end, that the plane was going to break. And then this one lady, she saw another lady sitting by the window and praying. She walked up to this lady, and this is the testimony of this woman who was in that plane. She walked up to this lady and asked her, are you a Christian? And she answered in the affirmative. And she said, can we pray? And she said, sure, let's pray. And this is what she prayed. The two of them prayed together, Lord, 2,000 years ago, you stilled the storm. We now pray that that same Jesus, that same power, that you stilled the storm in this plane, and you stilled the storm that is outside of this plane. And the two of them prayed that. Within two minutes, everything in the plane got quiet. All the panic and the screaming and the shouting subsided. And then this woman, looking outside the window, totally fascinated by all these electric storms and the thunder that was going, she took her camera and she took a picture at this window where this other lady was seated. 
And when she arrived there in, in New Zealand, in those days, those of you who do not know what it means, but in the 80s, we didn't have the digital format of cameras. Photos still had to be developed. So this lady handed in her camera, and later that afternoon, she got a call, and she was told that your photos are ready. But the person who, who, who contacted this lady said to her, please, but I need you to come because I need to ask you about something. And when he, she was handed this photo, she asked her about this one specific photo. And the team can please bring this photo up for me here at the back. Because when this lady took this photo out of the, just taking a photo out of this thunderstorm, this electric storm, and when this photo was developed, this is what she got on her camera. This is true. This is the power of who God is. He's still in the storm. He's still in the storm. He's still in the clouds. And one of these days, we're going to be there and meet up with Him. That is the power of God that is still available in the church today. Hallelujah. Yes, let's give God a proper praise offering. He's still in the storm. He's still in the storm. That is the beauty of God's power still available. How dare we believe it is still not there as yet. The power of Pentecost is the power of God and it's still available for us. For the next eight days, we must expect the power of God to manifest here in this church, to manifest in our lives because that is what Pentecost was all about since the beginning. Since the beginning, it was so. Leonard Ravenhill, an English evangelist, said these words, isn't it staggering when you think that one sermon on the day of Pentecost produced 3,000 people? And we had some cities yesterday where 3,000 sermons were preached and nobody was saved. And it doesn't even faze us. How sad is that? You know what I believe? I believe most churches have taken the book of Acts and now they're preaching the book of Facts. Because they're just going back and say, yes, it did happen. Yes, it is there, but it happened then and only then. How wrong they are. This is the book of Acts. Acts mean you are acting. It is not, you're not becoming quiet. It's continuous. It is going on. The power of God has not stopped. It is still going on and still available for us. Woe unto them who speak such foolishness because the power of the anointing of God's Holy Spirit with which we are baptized is still happening in the church today. We are proof of it if we pray in the Spirit. We are proof of it if we have seen signs and wonders and miracles here in this church and in our lives. In these eight days that are lying ahead, it is still gonna come our way should we believe it. But we have sold ourselves short the body of Christ, we have accepted a norm that should not be accepted. We eat the scraps what the world offer us and I'll qualify what I'm saying. We waiting for revivals. And listen, I love revivals. I'm standing at the forefront of revival. I appreciate revivals. But the body of Christ should never have waited for revivals to come. Now we wait for the next revival. What happens in between those spaces of revival? There should have never been revival because revival happened at Pentecost. And since Pentecost, we should have always walked in the power of God's Holy Spirit. We did not have to wait for the revivals. We must not settle for these kind of things. We must accept to walk continuously in the power of God's Holy Spirit because it is available to us and it came at a very expensive price. The body on a cross of Jesus Christ was the price so that we could receive the baptism of God's Holy Spirit. 
There are a few things that they say that are signs that an, a revival is imminent. I give you four of the most powerful ones. How do you know that revival is coming soon? Number one, there's a spiritual and a moral decline in the world. Is it happening? Is it out there? You bet. It is. We all know it is. Second thing, there is persecution in the church from within and from without. Is that happening? Oh, you bet. You think all these agendas that the world is trying to enforce unto us, how to accept the new norm and understanding of sexual identity, you think that is godly? It goes against God's word. The church, they're coming for the church. You cannot be silent about this and think it is fine. They're coming for you. It might not even impact you directly, but Satan is coming for you because we are going to accept and tolerate a norm that is against what God's Word says. My identity in terms of my sexuality lies in Christ. I am a man. I am made as a male. And that is the only thing that I accept that God's Word says. Nobody will define how different I am. And when God talks about what marriage is, I don't care what the world wants to try and define. God's Word says marriage is between male and female. And only that, only that. Third point, when you know that revival is brooding, there is a longing in the hearts of the people for a move of God. Raise your hands in all honesty. Who are you hungering and desiring for a move of God to come? Come on, we, we know it. We've seen it the last couple of Sundays. You've seen the prayer meetings, how full it becomes on a Saturday morning. You've been here at the prayer on Friday through to Saturday. You know there is something different. That is something that is brooding. We know we are close to a revival. The fourth point, there are pockets of the movement of God's Holy Spirit that you hear of and see in different churches here and there. That is proof that God is busy preparing the church, that He's busy, He's busy getting His Holy Spirit ready for a great revival again. And who knows, it may be the last revival. Who knows, this may be the last Pentecost. And you should not miss out because God's Baptism of His Holy Spirit was exactly that for us to encounter and experience that power of God so that we can be the light unto the world out there and impact the world out there. Listen to what it says here in Acts 2 verses 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. We are now here in one accord in one place. And if we do not expect miracles and a move of God's Spirit to happen, if we we don't expect that, we are not going to be disappointed. But if we expect it, God will not disappoint us. I close off with this. There was a great, last great revival was in the 1906, in the Azusa Street Revival. And you can go and read it and even watch the, 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 the YouTube videos. Phenomenal things that happened there. To think of this, for three years, three services per day, three years, that happened. And in one of those services, William Seymour, one of the men who led this revival, had a gentleman that coming to him and his leg was amputated. And he asked the man, what did he want? And he said, I want, I want a new leg. I want my leg to grow. 
And God didn't go and heal this man at his home in the front of the eyes of those people that legs started to grow and everybody witnessed it. That's why people could give accounts of that witnessing. That leg grew of that man that he walked out of there on his two legs and because of that miracle, a thousand other people got saved because of the power of God's Holy Spirit. Yes, let's give God a praise offering because still the same spirit that is here on the earth today. And lastly, a man walked in some time later and he had only one arm and he was jobless. He could not work anymore because of the one arm. And William Seymour asked the man, what do you want? He said, I want this arm to grow. And he says, this is a difficult thing. It's a big thing for God to do. No, it is not. It is a small thing for God to do. It's a big thing for man, but not a big thing for God. And he said, in the presence of the people, they prayed. William Seymour prayed with all the people there. And in the sight of everyone, they saw how the arm progressively started to grow. They saw the fingers coming out and the nails on the finger. That that man had his full arm restored. He got his job back. And over the period of time, 200 of his co-workers got saved because he brought them to that same event where the Holy Spirit was poured out. That is the power of God available to all of us through the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is available to us during the Feast of Pentecost. Turn to the person next to you and say to that person, I see you tonight. Yeah? Turn to the person on the other side of you and say to them, I see you Monday night. Turn to the person behind you and in front of you, tell them, I see you on Tuesday night. <laughs> and everybody says with me, I see you, I see you. Wednesday, night. Wednesday night. Because we will have Pentecost like in the Bible. One place, one accord. Let's stand and give the Lord a praise offering. <laughs> Hallelujah. Let's stand and give God a proper praise offering because Pentecost is coming and it is here and God's Holy Spirit will move and signs and wonders and miracles is ours for this generation in Jesus' Name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's all raise our hands to the heavens. Father, as your Spirit for surely is here, we don't want to live without your Holy Spirit. We don't want to live without your Holy Spirit. And Lord, let these people be so encouraged and moved by your Holy Spirit that we come here every night with an expectation during this week, these eight days, may it be a new time, a new season for all of us because we hunger, we desire, we thirst for more of your Holy Spirit. Baptize us in your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. And now, May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of your Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore and especially in this week in this Feast of Pentecost. And we all agree and we say, Amen. Amen. For more teachings like this and other material, please visit our website at www.littlefallsonline.com.